Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for lovely worship today. We'll continue our sermon series from Paul's letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. If you turn to Galatians chapter 2, we'll begin in a few moments in verse 1. Walking the talk. Fred Craddock, famed professor of preaching, remembers a church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. There's a period of explosive growth in this community decades ago, and people were moving in even faster than houses could be constructed. Consequently, a lot of people lived in trailers, and some even had to put up tents to live in because the jobs were there, but the houses just couldn't catch up. Well, the the members of the local church there became afraid of all these newcomers to their community. Fearful these newcomers to the community would join their church and take over, and, well, they might even change the character of the church. And so on one Wednesday night, they passed a resolution to change the charter of the church that said that no one could join their church unless they owned property in the county that no one could become a member of their church unless they were property owners in the county. Well, therefore, the newcomers realized they couldn't go to that church because they didn't own any property in the county. They were in trailers and tents. And, well, over a period of time, the church gradually died. And now the, the church today is a barbecue restaurant. That's the featured item. Years passed, and Dr. Craddock and his wife were traveling through Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and decided they would stop and explore this one time a church now turned eatery. And they pulled into the parking lot, and there were 18 wheelers, and they were chopper motorcycles just filled the parking lot and walked in the restaurant, and it was just filled with all sorts of regular folk. And well, as the Craddocks enjoyed their barbecue seated where the people used to worship, The professor looked at his wife and said, strange, isn't it? These people feel more welcome now that this building serves barbecue than when the building preached the gospel of Jesus. Strange, isn't it? Paul continued in his Galatian letter, he boldly rebuked a false gospel that excludes people. In chapter 2, Paul sustained his argument by asserting that both his call to be an apostle and the gospel that he received were not given to him by the Jerusalem pillars, the apostles. He didn't receive his gospel from James or John or Peter. Rather, you remember, he was on the road to Damascus with letters in hand from the Sanhedrin to arrest the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, and drag them back to Jerusalem for a trial. And while he was on that road, he, he saw a blinding light, and he cried, Who are you, Lord? And the voice said, Why are you persecuting me? He realized that in following the letter of the law in Judaism, he was fighting against the Lord of the Jews, the Lord of all people, the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And so in chapter 1, he reminds us that his gospel that he preached, 
that God was at work in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus and the prophecy of the Old Testament has been filled in the, the rabbi Jesus and that God pours forth his spirit on those who call Jesus Lord and all who repent, both Jew and Gentile, receive God's saving grace. He said, I, I didn't get that gospel from the Jerusalem apostles. I received it on the road to Damascus from nothing other than the revelation from the crucified and resurrected Christ. The first thing we see is walking the talk with open minds. Verses 1 through 10. Walking the talk with open minds. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Walking the talk with open minds. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for I fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so the truth of the gospel might remain with you. For from those who were of high reputation, what they are makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. Again, he's saying, I didn't get my gospel from James or Peter. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked to me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, that is Peter, James and Peter and John, who were reputed to be the pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. Walking the talk with open minds. Paul's call here in chapter 2 was for believers to walk the talk. The Jerusalem apostles had not given him his gospel. They did receive his ministry, however, with an open mind. Paul realized early on if there was any sort of division between his gospel preaching to the Gentiles and James and Peter preaching to the Jews, that it would be terrible for the movement of Jesus, for this gospel of grace. And so he wanted James and Peter to know what he was doing, though they could not have, they could not have refused his gospel, for his gospel had come from Jesus himself. Like spies or traitors, he says, who infiltrate the opposing camp, false brethren, brethren or pretending to be believers, but instead of seeking the grace of the gospel, they were trying to subject the Gentiles to the old Jewish law, including circumcision. And Paul says, I did not even for an hour, not for a moment, did I place myself and the Gentile believers back under the bondage of the law from which the gospel had set us free. Unlike the closed-minded brethren, 
the Jerusalem apostles realize, verse 7, Paul had been called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, just like Peter had been called to preach the gospel to the circumcised. And the same God who worked through Peter to lead the Jews to say this rabbi Jesus is the Messiah also worked through Paul to get the Gentiles to say not that he's Messiah, Messiah meant nothing to them, but to say that he is Lord, Lord of the cosmos. Well, the Jerusalem apostles, they were walking the talk with open minds. In fact, James and Peter and John, they pledged their support and their friendship to Paul's efforts of preaching the gospel to those of different customs and different cultures, those who were Gentiles. They were not Jews. He says in verse 10, they only asked me one thing, to remember the poor. We'll see tonight in our study in Acts, there was a famine that came over at that time, and the Jews were left, some of them starving, and so the Gentiles took up an offering and sent it to the Jews themselves to relieve them of their poverty and their time of famine. You can preach the gospel to the Gentiles, just don't forget the poor Jews who are starving from the famine. And Paul says in verse 10, I was eager to share with the Jews that were starving. Well, there's a second word in verses 11 through 14, walking the talk with open arms. Not only walking the talk with open minds, but walking the talk with open arms. Look at verse 11. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined in the hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. When I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like Gentiles and not like Jew, how is it you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? If the Jerusalem apostles were going to walk the talk with open minds, they also had to walk the talk with open arms. It is not okay just to give mental assent to the inclusion of the gospel to all cultures and all peoples, but there also must be an active part of opening our arms to all peoples from all cultures. They need to translate their decision to include the Gentiles in everyday action. You see, Peter fully understood God had opened his kingdom to the Gentiles. In fact, Peter himself had witnessed that, as we saw last Sunday night in, in Acts chapter 10. You remember the story, Peter's at Joppa at the house of Simon the Tanner, and he's hungry, and he goes into a vision, a dreamlike state, and he sees this great sheet descending from heaven with all sorts of four-footed animals and reptiles and, and birds of the air. And he hears a voice, arise, go and eat. Arise, go and eat. No, no, Lord, three times. What, I will not eat that which is unclean. And the voice says to him, what I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. And about that time, there's a, a knock at the door and 
Well, there's men who've come from Cornelius. Cornelius is not a Jew, but he's a fearer of God. He wasn't a Jew, but he prayed to the God of the Jews, and he gave alms to the Jewish poor. And he had seen an angel. The angel said, go travel to Simon the Tanner's house at Joppa. Ask for a man named Simon Peter and bring him back. And, well, the Spirit told Peter to go with them. And Peter gets there. And Cornelius has gathered his whole household. And they're ready for Peter to preach. For the angel has said he has a word. And even as Peter is preaching, the Spirit descends. And they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And Peter even hadn't even finished his sermon and can't believe they're already responding he says well if they've been baptized with the spirit of God then I cannot refuse their being baptized with water and Peter realized he had to include the Gentiles in the church he had seen it firsthand he had sat at the table with Cornelius and the family and he had broken the bread with them well the church at Antioch was mostly Gentile believers Antioch was a large town, and there were a lot of Gentiles, a lot of Jews, but mostly Gentiles. And Peter went up to Antioch, and there were mostly Gentiles there. And like he had sat at the table and broken bread with the Gentiles there at Cornelius' home, he was doing the same thing in Antioch until the Jews arrived. And then quietly, Peter began to withdraw from hanging around those Gentile believers and sitting at the table with them and Paul says, I rebuked him to his face. See, as believers, we too must search our own lives and our own hearts to see how our own traditions are hindering us from our ability to live fully and the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. In what ways do you have cultural prohibitions that you're not even aware of that that put a distance between you and folks who don't practice their life exactly as you live your life. Where is the difference for you? Peter was caught in the cross currents. He knew that God had accepted the Gentiles. He had seen God pour forth his spirit on Cornelius' family. But old traditions are hard to break and easy to return to, especially in the presence of peers. He, Peter was retreating from his open-armed policy and narrowing his mind back to the Judaizers from Jerusalem. In fact, he was acting contrary from the very gospel that he had preached, and Peter rebuked him. Growing up in South Carolina, I was just the kind of kid who would strike up a conversation with any adult about anything, whether I knew anything about it or not, didn't stop me from talking. Constantly in, in grammar school, my report card would say, Howie talks too much in class. And then the next report card would say, Howie still talks too much in class. I was in one of those strike-up-a-conversation moods when I, I noticed a group of men working in front of our house there at 10 Dagenham Drive in Greenville, South Carolina. They were the nicest guys, it seemed to me. They, they worked, and I talked to them while they worked on the street, and I talked while they worked. And, well, they were paving the road in front of our house, and, 
And in my neighborhood, you had the asphalt road, you had a concrete driveway, but the first 15 feet belonged to the county, and so they actually put asphalt on your entry to your driveway. And they were out there working on our driveway and making it look so nice, and I was talking while they worked. And, well, I decided these guys, it was hot. It was summertime. That tar was hot. I decided it was time to invite all those guys to come into our house for a break. I was sure that I could find them something to eat and drink, and I went in to inform my mother that I'd invited these really neat fellows who were working outside in for some refreshments. They'd done a marvelous job. I told my mother repairing our driveway, and I felt like we should treat them to something really special. After all, isn't she the one that taught me to be kind and to love everyone? You invited whom to come in, my mother said. You did what, she continued. That's the chain gang, Howie. <laughs> They're a bunch of criminals, prisoners. They cannot come into our house to eat. Well, funny, now that she mentioned it, there were a couple of them that had chains between their legs while they were working, and there was a fellow with a, a, a gun strapped to his side watching them while they were working, and I was talking the whole time. Hey, Mom, guess who's coming for dinner, I announced. Was not the high point of my mom's day. But my mother, being a kind lady, nonetheless fixed out a big tray of lemonade for me to carry out to the fellows who were sweltering in the sun on that humid Carolina afternoon. And they were appreciative, and while they drank their lemonade, I talked some more to them as they were. My mother informed me that Next time, I probably should ask before I just invite folks at random into the house. It was seeming a necessary policy to me, but one which I had to follow. Maybe as Christians, our actions should be as naive as those of an elementary schoolboy who was just doing what he'd been taught all his life to treat everybody the same, and my eyes couldn't even see the chains that bound them. We, too, must reach out with open arms to complement the open minds that we assent to when we gather to worship and read God's Word. It's not just our minds that must be open. It is our arms that must be open as well. And those of us who've received the freedom of the gospel of Christ Jesus, we can no longer bind others to our traditions if they're not the core of the gospel. In fact, Paul says, I went up to Peter and I told him to his face, you're being a hypocrite. You used to sit with the Gentiles, but now you sit with them no longer. In fact, notice what he says, even Barnabas my missionary companion was caught in Peter's hypocrisy. Well, not only open minds and open arms, but open hearts. Look at verse 15 as he continues. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners, so 
is Christ in a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. and It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died needlessly. Walking the talk with open hearts. Paul continues his argument. He anticipated an objection to the gospel he preached. He had thus far, thus far proven that both his call to be an apostle and the gospel he preached about God working and the death and resurrection of Jesus had not been received from the Jerusalem leaders. But the Pharisees were arguing something like this. Paul, your doctrine of having a right relationship with God through having faith in Christ apart from the works of the law is a very dangerous teaching. You're going to have a, a whole lot of so-called members of the kingdom of God who have no sense of moral responsibility. Paul, if you keep preaching that the law is not important, sin is going to be rampant. In fact, Paul, your gospel encourages people to sin all the more, that God can give them all the more of his grace. We have never heard such words as you're advocating, even teaching people that they do not have to follow the law of Moses. If God's going to justify bad people, Paul, then what reason have you given people to be good? You're teaching the people just to live however they're pleased and cover it with the grace of the gospel. Paul responds to their argument, saying that Christians are made, both Jew and Gentile, right with God through Jesus Christ's faithfulness to the cross and our belief in what he's accomplished for us. Verse 16 can be translated this way. We're not justified by the works of the law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, even as we have believed in Christ Jesus. In fact, Paul said, rather than encouraging sin, that the gospel of God's grace, which focuses on Christ's faithfulness, while his willingness to die on the cross actually demands a, a more exemplary lifestyle than was ever accomplished by the law. Christ is not the minister to sin and does nothing with this gospel to further sin's interest. He continued his argument by saying that he could not rebuild or take on once again the Jewish law that the cross had set him free from that law. That something had happened when Christ was faithful to his Father's will and dying for our sins. That believers had been broken free from the bondage of sin, the bondage of the law, the bondage of death. When he was crucified, verse 20, we were crucified. We die to our old selves. We're resurrected to the indwelling Christ in us, which becomes our moral compass through his spirit and not the Old Testament law. In fact, we've been set free from identity markers like circumcision, dietary restrictions, and all the observances of the Jews. As we grow ourselves in Christ, we are new creatures in Christ, and we live in response to the love of God on the cross. No, my gospel doesn't lead people to sin. It calls them to obey not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, 
for they want to live in the grace of the grace that was given to them in the crucifixion. After flying to Honolulu, Professor Preacher Tony Campalo, he was unable to sleep. And so he ventured into an all-night diner where he happened to find out there were a group of prostitutes who met there every night, who were working the night, and he heard one of the prostitutes mention to her friends that the next day was her 39th birthday. What do you expect, a birthday party or something? One of the prostitutes said to the one who was having her birthday the next day. She got quite defensive and said, I have never had a birthday party in all my life. Why do you think that I would expect that anyone would give me a birthday party tomorrow? Well, the, the pastor professor was overhearing the conversation between the prostitutes and he conspired with the the night manager of the diner, that he was going to throw a surprise party for that prostitute the next night, and he bought a cake and brought it in, and he had it all arranged, and at the same time they came in every night, the other prostitutes were gathered, and they all cried, happy birthday, shouts of happy birthday to her. And she was absolutely stunned being her first birthday cake. She didn't even know you're supposed to cut it and share it. It was like a prize to her. And she asked as she put it back in the box, could she take it home? Could she take her birthday cake home with her? As they were going back into the night, the prostitutes, the work, the pastor professor said, well, I've enjoyed the birthday party, but can I say a prayer for you? And he prayed. He prayed that life would change for her that God would give her grace, and that God would be good to her. After he said the prayer, the, the night manager of the little diner there in Honolulu said antagonistically, you never told me you were a preacher when you set up this party. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? To which Kampalo replied, I belong to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. It captures the essence of Galatians chapter 2. We are made righteous not by our own actions, but by the actions of Christ. We preach a gospel that is for all people of all cultures. The whole point of Paul is I have been called to the folks from other cultures to preach the gospel, not my own culture, the Jews. And thirdly, As we die with Christ and rise with Christ, we are set free from the law, but it doesn't lead us morally astray, but rather it calls us to be obedient, not out of obligation to the law, but rather as a response to the indwelling of the Spirit within us. Table fellowship was a big concern. To sit at the table with someone was to fellowship with God You remember the story in Daniel where Daniel and his friends refused to partake in the Gentile king's royal table because you, as a Jew, you don't have table fellowship with the Gentiles. And so Peter had table fellowship, and then he didn't. And then he did, and then he didn't. And it sort of depended on who was around as to how he was going to act 
and treat the people from the Gentile culture compared to his Jewish culture. And Paul says, stop it, Peter. Is a gospel with open minds, is a gospel of open arms, is a gospel of an open heart. To whom has God called you to carry the gospel? We've always been, for our 130-year history, we've always been the kind of church that carried the gospel to all people everywhere. Good news of great joy for all people everywhere. On our campus right now today, by the time you leave, we will have preached the gospel at 12th and Tyler in six different languages. The good news is not just good news for the Jews. It is good news for all people everywhere. Whatever the culture, whatever the race, there is but one Jesus. He died and rose again that all might call him Lord. Let us pray. Oh God, we're here this morning and reminded and challenged in our own hypocrisy in what little ways do we let our own cultural restrictions keep us from crossing a bridge or breaking down barriers to tell other folks who live differently than we do about the good news of Jesus? Father, I pray that as a church that we'll never just be within these walls, but we'll see our primary calling outside of this space to nurture friendships with folks from a myriad of walks of life that we can tell them about the one Messiah, the one Lord, the one Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen.